Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. It is always up to speed with Formula One. It is Thursday, February 29th, 2024. My name is Mark Daly, sitting here in the studio at about 11 p.m. Pacific time. So the uh, the weekend, it's almost here. By the time I finish recording, it'll be probably well after midnight. And then to me, Friday is officially weekend, even though it's a work day. It's all good. I don't really mind uh, <laughs> whatsoever. But what's kind of cool, by the time that uh, you download uh, the, the show and listen to it, perhaps uh, practice will be over. It looks like uh, where I'm sitting right now, we're about five and a half hours out from FP3, which will make it about 4.30 a.m. Pacific time. And I get up early enough to go to work. So I'm not going to be getting up any earlier. I'll check it out in the morning when I sit there and doom scroll through my timeline on X and and uh, Instagram and all that uh, good sort of stuff. Uh, anyways, excited that uh, Formula One is back. And um, I hope this is a nice uh, little supplement uh, to the rest of your race uh, weekend. Uh, what with qualifying and the race on Saturday, a little bit of a staggered uh, format uh, compared to usual. Uh, I mean, usually we, we get the race on Sundays, of course, but uh, I'm excited. I'm ready to go. I don't want to sit around any longer. The, the, the off season has been going on long enough. Enough, and it's going to be a packed calendar, folks. I mean, we got the race this weekend. Next weekend, we're off to Saudi Arabia, back to Jeddah, then Australia, Japan, China. Be back stateside beginning of May for the uh, Miami Grand Prix. We're going to just roll all the way through until the final race of the year on, uh, let's see, December 8th in Abu Dhabi at uh, the uh, well, well-known, the, the world-renowned Yas Marina Circuit. So really looking forward to to doing that and uh, doing covering another season, which will be the ninth in the uh, in the catalog of this show, and uh, can't wait to, to get it all started again. Got a good show coming up uh, today. We're we're going to talk about the Christian Horner stuff. We have to do that, uh, but we're going to spend uh, a lot of time. I sat down uh, earlier today with Marshall the Marshall, and we're going to talk all about what it takes to become a race marshal and some of the cool things that uh, he's done in twenty plus years as a, as a race marshal from. Everything from local club racing to Indy cars, Formula One, and uh, it was really cool to to sit down with Marshall earlier today and talk uh, about uh, all of that and his uh, interesting career track side. Um, before we get into that, uh, just want to give a shout out to, to the race weekend. Uh, you can check them out at um, theraceweekend.com. That's R A C E W K N D. And if uh, you decide to get a year subscription, enter in my promo code ScuderiaPod at checkout. That's ScuderiaPod, and you will receive a ten percent discount on your subscription and uh, check out racingexclusives.com for one-of-a-kind Formula One memorabilia that comes with a certificate of authenticity. That's racingexclusives.com. And guys, this is also very important. Season's just about ready to go. You got to lock in your fantasy team. Uh, So go to the F1 fantasy site, as horrible as and user unfriendly as it is, search up Scootery F1 podcast and uh, you can join in there. Or you can also use the code CR. <laughs> Messed that up already. C 8 R O Q Z Q 0 Y 1 0. Once again, the, the code for our the pod, podcast fantasy league C 8 R O Q Z Q 0 Y 1 0. If I said that, 
way too fast and I probably did just to head on over to X. I've got that um, I've got that posted a couple of times. I think it might be posted or pinned uh, to the top of my profile, so check it out there. Okay, so I do uh, want to kind of move through this next bit as uh, quickly as possible. I want to get to the interview with uh, with Marshall and uh, talk about that, but we do have to talk about uh, the Christian Horner investigation. Of course, uh, being here on the, uh, the the wrong side of the world, figuratively speaking, when it comes to the Formula One news cycle, this is you know well and truly old news now. I mean, uh, it broke uh, for me earlier this morning, uh, which was about eighteen hours ago. So. Certainly by the time most of you get up in the morning, it uh, will be a day old. But anyways, it's it's very important to uh, to talk about anyways. But uh, Red Bull has uh, released the results, or not the, the the results, but the outcome of the investigation involving Christian Horner and uh, the allegations against him. So that uh, has been uh, dismissed uh, by the team. Uh, they've decided to, to, uh, to move on from that. They haven't uh, made uh, any public statement uh, about that other than just uh, a brief brief uh, statement. Uh, Christian Horner himself also released um, a statement saying, quote, I will comment on an on, pardon me, anonymous speculation, but to reiterate, I have always denied the allegations. I respected the integrity of the independent investigation and fully cooperated with it every single step of the way. It was a thorough and fair investigation conducted by an independent specialist barrister and it has concluded dismissing the complaint made i remain fully focused on the start of the season and quote so red bull uh, they also released a statement and they said quote the independent investigation into the allegations made against mr horner's complete and red bull can confirm that the grievance has been dismissed the complaint has the complainant has a right of appeal red bull is confident that the investigation has been fair rigorous and impartial the investigation report is confidential and contains the private information of the parties and third parties who assisted in the investigation and therefore we will not be commenting further out of respect for all concerned. Red Bull will continue striving to meet the highest workplace standards, end quote. So that's uh, what they've uh, publicly said. Uh, you know, uh, after this is uh, the story broke, uh, there was a you know there was a leak of uh, the alleged messages, and that uh, was uh, spread out uh, to over a hundred uh, people, including senior figures within uh, Formula One, the FIA, uh, team principals, and uh, permanently accredited media. Jos Verstappen, who is Max's uh, dad, uh, was also one of the people to to receive that. Um, anyways, there. There was a couple of quotes here. Oh, here it is in uh, my, uh, my, um, oh, yeah, it's uh, in my notes here, just uh, going back on the, uh, the, the, um, statement issued by Christian Horner. But yeah, so this is a uh, quite interesting and you know, I don't want to, you know, I, I mean, I can't really speculate cause I don't really know, but I mean, this leak, nobody really knows where it comes from. Nobody can really prove at least, you know, as far as we know, the, um, the, I guess uh, you could say the uh, authenticity, the origin of these uh, messages, but uh, you know the timing is all very strange. And I just, I mean, don't you all get the feeling that this is uh, far from over? I don't think it's uh, it's uh, settled as all uh, at, at all. And Total Wolf team principal of uh, Mercedes uh, had a couple of things today as well as uh, Zach Brown, CEO of uh, McLaren. Total had to say, "Quote: Well, I just read the statement, uh, which was uh, pretty basic. My personal opinion is that we can't really look behind the curtain at the end." 
end of the day, there's a lady in an organization that has spoken to HR and has said that there's an issue and it was investigated. And yesterday, the sport has received the message. It's all fine. We've looked at it. I believe that uh, with the aspiration as a global sport on such critical topics, it needs to be it needs to be more transparent. And I wonder what the sport's position is. We are competitors. We are a team and we can have our own personal opinions or not. But it's uh, more like a general reaction or an action that we as a sport need to assess what is right in that situation and what is wrong. End quote. So anyway, says Zach Brown uh, also um, chimed in. He had the, the following to say, quote, I've read this statement. I think from what I've seen, there continues to be a lot of rumors, speculation and questions. I think the sanctioning body has a responsibility and authority to our sport, to our fans, and I think to all of us in Formula One, I think that they need to make sure that things have been fully transparent with them. I think until then, uh, there will continue to be speculation because there is a lot of unanswered questions about the whole process. I think that's what's needed by those who run the sport is to really be able to draw a line under it. Until then, I think there will continue to be some level of speculation by people, and I don't think that is healthy for the sport. End quote. So I absolutely uh, agree with that. You know, these, um, you know, the the leaked uh, messages and, you know, they're very graphic and, you know, sexting and things like that. Allegedly, that's what's uh, been reported in some of the um, uh, UK newspapers I was looking at. Anyhow, I, I hope like Zach Brown says, and also like Toto, that this can be fully, well, as transparent as it can be without uh, divulging personal information of the, 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 the people involved, or at least um, you know, whatever transparency is in this case. And of course, when you only know very limited information, I don't know where the line is as to what is what is enough, what is not enough. But like Zach Brown says, I want to see a line drawn under this too. And so we can all feel satisfied as to whether or not this was uh, handled properly and uh, the, the the case actually is closed because uh, I mean the last thing that we want is that uh, you know there's some sort of cover-up that's there's some injustice and you know somebody's been taken advantage of we don't want that of, uh, at all and uh, it could be a bit of a defining moment uh, in the sport so I certainly hope that they've uh, done their bit to uh, do the best uh, job uh, that they can. Anyhow, uh, I'm just going to step aside right now. We're going to take a, a quick uh, break. We're going to come back. I've got Marshall the Marshall on deck here, and we're going to talk all about uh, what happens trackside at a, at a race of any kind, not just a, a Formula One race, what it takes to, to get into Marshalline and um, some of his aspirations for the future. We'll talk about that on the flip side. So please don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. All right, welcome back to the show. Joining me now is Marshall the Marshall, or as many of you know him on social media as Double Waved Yellow. And Marshall has been a racing fan since the age of five and became a race marshal back in 2003. He recently passed 365 event days, which means he has now spent more than an entire calendar year of his life flagging at races at over a dozen different tracks. Marshall currently serves as the membership director of the Canadian Race Communications Association, which is his local club, and is very busy trying to recruit the next generation of motorsport volunteers. Marshall is a great follow on social media, so give him a follow on X or Threads at Double Waved Yellow, DBL Waved Yellow. Marshall the Marshall, welcome to the show. Good, good. How are you, Mark? 
I'm doing really good. Well, this is fun. I've uh, been looking forward to, to doing this. We've been talking about it for a couple of weeks, but you know, we've, we've been uh, chatting back and forth on social media for a very, very long time. And it's, it's cool to get uh, your perspective uh, on a lot of things that, uh, that we see happen uh, on the track, but we wanted to d- dive into it a little bit uh, deeper because I'm just going to throw this, this statement at, uh, at you. It's a, a, of course, a question depending uh, how you want to look at it, but let, let's put it this way. Motor sport in all its forms is inherently dangerous and chaotic rules and structures help bring order and mitigate some of the dangers and the chaos in motorsport you agree or disagree oh absolutely i think uh having those rules and procedures and people around doing all the different roles that they do on a race weekend is essential for making it go off safely and you know without volunteers you can't have a motor race yeah, absolutely. So l- let's back it up because we'll pick this up in a, in a in a little bit here. So you've been a race fan since the age of five, and you've been now marshalling for over 20 years. As, as I just mentioned, your bio, you've spent a full calendar year out of your entire life trackside, which is uh, phenomenal. So l- let's start at the beginning. How did you get into to, to, uh, motorsports? So um, my entire family are all kind of racing nuts. Uh, my uncles and my dad. Um, my dad actually raced as an amateur racer when I was really little, um, with an old, uh, Datsun that he built himself. So, oh, cool. <laughs> you know, I kind of grew up, uh, following it. Um, my dad was a big Prost fan. So of course I had to be a Senna fan just of because. course. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I think the earliest memory I have of actually sitting down and watching a race is. San Marino 89. So really cool. That's, cool. Yeah. That was the one where Senna beat Prost and Prost went off trying to catch him. It was also the one where Gerhard Berger had his big fireball. So that was, um, Oh my goodness. Yeah. That was, I- uh, a memorable race that I remember just as a young, young, young kid. Um, but I was always fascinated with Formula One. Um, right from, uh, like my, my, my parents subscribed to Formula Magazine. Um, I don't know if you remember that from way back. I do. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it was like, uh, you would get like the race summaries, like two months after they happened, <laughs> you know, there was no internet back then. You would of get course. the race summary like well, well, well after it happened. But I remember the, um, the first issue of the season was always their season preview and they'd always have all the teams and drivers that were going to be racing that year. And then they would have a section about all the tracks and then they would have a page about all the flags. And I know that I wore that page out. And even from like a young age, I remember watching the races and watching the flags, watching what they do, trying to see what's going on, like, um, you know, what the blue flaggers doing, what the yellow flaggers doing, what the marshals are doing and the recovery. Like just from a young age, I knew that I wanted to do it and you know, I'm just going to address the nominative determin- determinism here a little bit. I think that the fact that they were called marshals is probably <laughs> an influence on me when I was really young that I just felt like maybe it was a calling. I don't know. Um, but uh, no, I, I always wanted to do it. And um, my uncle was actually a marshal when he was very young. Uh, he actually marshaled the 1974 Canadian Grand Prix at most. Oh, very cool. So he had lots of stories about it um, and, you know, piqued my interest. It was a lot different when he was young. I'll tell you that, like the yeah. standards back in the seventies. And I mean, 
the danger of it because um, he said that, you know, fully one third of the drivers that started that race, you know, ended up not living either due to plane crashes or uh, or or car crashes. So it was a dangerous time. Well, it's crazy, right? I've got a, a picture just over my shoulder here of um, Sterling Moss, and it's after a race, and he's the goggles off, and he's got like the you know the eyes are still white, and the rest of the face covered in oil, and it's just uh, amazing to think back in the day, like how protect or unprotected the drivers were because there weren't even seat belts, and you know the Absolutely. cars literally were just um, you know sheet metal over over a frame and a chassis. It's uh, it's unreal, but. It's funny. I mean, your your exposure to motorsport at a young age is very similar to the way that I grew up because my dad coming from the UK, uh, he was a big mo- motor racing fan and he always spent time at Brands Hatch and, and Silverstone watching anything that uh, that, uh, that that they were racing. And very much like yourself, like I didn't grow up with a, with, with a formula magazine, but what we grew up with in our house was my dad had boxes and boxes of old auto sport magazines. Yeah. And I just remember the same thing, just going through them over and over and over again, looking at all these cool pictures and reading all these stories and everything like that. Also, a fun fact, so where I'm sitting now here, I, I live in Coquitlam, which is a, a suburb of uh, Vancouver, just a, a mile or two uh, up the road uh, from where I live is the, uh, where, well, it's a subdivision now, but it used to be the old Westwood Motorsport uh, Park. Yep. So it's it's really interesting. Like, I, I looked into it, and uh, you're, you, you've got a story to, 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 to share with that one? <laughs> well, right behind me is Gilles Villeneuve. Yep on my wall that's right yeah he raced there in uh, formula atlantic yeah that's yeah. right, and it's it's very cool because a, a lot of the, uh, the the streets around there they have like the, the the heritage is still there. There's there's Deer Leap Court, there's Moss Court, there's Dunlop Crescent and Paddock Crescent and things like that. Unfortunately, you you can't figure where the track used to be, but there's also I, I should post it again. There was uh, you know Sterling Moss actually. There's some funny tie in again uh, just uh, w- with him, but he used to be the uh, the amb- uh, ambassador for the circuit. And if uh, you look it up on YouTube, there's like this promo video that. He he did sometimes it must be the late 1960s and he's doing a lap around the the track and you i can just imagine somebody sitting beside him in the car with a with a camera filming him he's in there with like a, a, a jacket and tie on and just driving like there's it's just uh, crazy anyways that's re- that's really cool so um so when did you like you mentioned just going through those magazines and just uh, looking through and just uh, learning about all the what you know what a red flag and a blue flag all the different flags were and being you know captivated and interested by what was happening on the track. So when did it become more serious for you, for you? When did it become just a, a, an interest to hey this is something I need to this is something I need to do. So it was when I went with my uncle to the Canadian Grand Prix in 2003. And oh, uh, okay. And I went first time because I grew up um, on the East Coast in very rural area. And I mean, it's not far from Montreal, but it feels like a million miles away from Formula One. Like it, it feels very disconnected from that world, especially in the days of the 90s when, you know, it wasn't that big a deal. Um, as we're seeing now, the sort of revival and, and growth in North America, in the U.S. especially. It was a very niche sport, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I was a huge fan my, my whole life. Um, and to finally go when I was, I think that was, I was probably 20, um, 21, something like that. And I went for the first time. 
And again, I was just watching the marshals. I was watching them more than I was watching on the track. I was watching what they were doing, the safety vehicles, the response, the whole um, procedure around how a race works in terms of like the bigger picture. Um, and when we were walking back, um, we were going on the back straight where that spectator fence, if you've been there, is like along mm-hmm. the, where the, where the back straight is kind of by the casino. Yes. And yep, the yep. marshals were all there having their lunch and under a tree. And I was like, so how do you do this anyway? And they were mostly from road Atlanta. I remember. Um, and they just, you know, told me all about it and gave me the whole sales pitch of how awesome it was. And they come up from road Atlanta and work it every year. And so I knew from when my dad raced where our local track was, obviously. So I just said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go do this. Like I'm going to go back to, I'm going to go back to Shubenacadie, Nova Scotia. And I'm going to do my, my marshalling there. And I just showed up and said, Hey, I want to do this. And my whole goal was to do it in F1 someday. Um, you know, that, that's not what everybody does, but for mm-hmm. me, it was like, I want to go work an F1 race. So sign me up. <laughs> yeah, and, absolutely. And, uh, it ended up very shortly that, you know, you fall in love with the local, uh, local scene. You almost enjoy it, um, as much or more and you enjoy the camaraderie and you enjoy the people you're with. And, you know, eventually you, you, you become close friends with all the people that you're there with. And then, you know, after I guess three or four years, I had enough days under my belt because the way it works is if you want to sign up and you join a club, you would go to the school and usually the, the various clubs at your track would have a school day where they train you in the classroom and give you the rule book, all the safety procedures, what you do, what we do, what we don't do, you know, the rundown of everything. Um, I'm not going to get into it, but you can imagine that there's a lot of things that you just need ground rules for, uh, to operate safely on the side of the track. And then, um, after that, you'd become what, what we call a QE, I guess is, is usually what the terminology is, is where you'll become like, uh, um, a, a trainee basically. And you'll, you'll stand on the track side with an experienced marshal who will tell you what he's doing or she's doing and explain and watch you. So they'll, you know, the first day will probably be very casual of like, just, Hey, hang out, watch us do our thing. If you have any questions, we're going to explain what we're doing. And then as people get more comfortable, you give them a flag and say, okay, you're going to flag this session. You're going to wave the yellow. You tell me what, what you should do. Like you tell me what the rules are and I'll tell you if you're right or whatever. And then, um, we do like at the end of the day, an evaluation, you know, are you on time? Did you do the, you know, bring all your gear? Did you listen to instructions? Cause that's the main thing I, I have mm-hmm. to say, like, it's the ability to just be there and take instruction at that early phase to be able to have the focus and dedication needed just to put your phone away, put your phone away and focus on what's happening on the track because I actually had my friend come to a school. I, I, I can't remember if it was last year or, or a couple years ago. And he's like, you know, this is the most boring thing in the world until it's not. <laughs> like, it's really like when everything's going fine and there's just bikes or cars going around and zoom, 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 everything seems calm. But you've got to be waiting for that moment of chaos. And when sure, it happens, yep. 
you've got to be on. So you're looking for people who are not daydreamy. They're very focused. They're watching the cars. They're watching the bikes. They're watching the interactions between them, closing speeds, lines, you know, looking for oil or debris or, you know, track condition, just being observant, basically. Um, yeah. And and you're just you give them the evaluation at the end of the day. And then after 15 event days or, you know, give or take, it could be more, um, you know, somebody will get and, and it's different for every club, like every club will have its own standards. But for us, it's typically 15 days of, you know, on track observation, like instruction and then observation. And then you get your, uh, your license and that license entitles you to work as a marshal at any track. And there's like, you know, beginner, advanced or beginner, intermediate and advanced levels based off of the number of events you've worked. And, you know, there's subsequent training. So there's, um, there's the radio protocol because when we're on the corner, um, mm -hmm. At least one person will be the communicator on that corner and will have either a radio or a landline system and they will have to report back everything that happens in that section and every flag status to control and control relay instructions. And there's a very set protocol on how that all happens and right. you have to be trained on that. Um, and then there's also, um, I know that the club that I came in with was at Mosport um, and they do blue flag training. Um, so that's a separate designation for them. Um, but every, every track kind of has its own rules and quirks and, uh, differences. But in general, it all kind of fo follows the same procedure. And then once you get that license, no matter which club you are, it's an FIA affiliated club. So you have an FIA license. So that's interesting. There's a couple of things I want to sort of uh, dive deeper on now. So, so once you're qualified, so you say you can go and and like work anywhere. Is that is that regional? Is that national? Yes. Is that international? Is it all of the above? It's all of the above, but of course, uh, Formula One and IndyCar and the like are more selective. Um, your admission's not guaranteed. You're qualified to work it, but you may not be selected to work it. Um, but if you wanted to go, you know, to BC or to, I don't know, uh, I'm trying to think out West, you guys don't have a lot of tracks out there, actually. It's well, unfortunate. The, the closest, <laughs> yeah, the closest one that would, you know, to, to me would be uh, Mission Raceway, right. which would be about like, yeah. like 40, 45 minutes away from where I am yeah, right Mission. now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if I wanted to go and, you know, do a race there my license from ontario is perfectly good to just show up and say hey i want to work guys um and i'm sure they'd be happy to have you you know <laughs> like um in we we have a lot of like i, I work the toronto indie here and 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 every year and we have uh marshals that come up from all over the u.s we have marshals who come from all over the world to work formula one um mm. And, you know, it's a vast um, collection of different people from all over that uh, like to travel around and go to these events. And, uh, you know, it's all predicated on that local level training, that local level license that allows you to uh, work an FIA event anywhere. That, that's amazing. So I know you were saying that uh, it started for you at your, your local club and you're saying that, uh, you know, that there's certain like attributes that, uh, you know, that you need to be a marshal to, to do it. Is there anything when, when somebody shows up, is there anything that, uh, you know, is there any kind of screening process that, uh, you know, when, 
you know, kind of going through, I guess, maybe an onboarding interview or something like that? Or are there any qualities that, uh, well, I guess it wouldn't be qualities, <laughs> anything <laughs> that might show up uh, with a person that might rule them out uh, as being anything less than a good candidate to become a, a race official or a marshal, I, I should that, say? I think that you give everyone an opportunity. Um, okay. It's a, vol- it's a volunteer organization. Um, but we're in the safety business here. You know, you can't, yeah. you, 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 you're there to do a job. And if you're not doing that job, then someone's going to have a very frank discussion that maybe this is not for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to say that that's never really been a concern because usually the people who aren't good at it or don't show an aptitude are not interested, you know, okay. there, there's, um, there's a certain hurdle of like, like, I, I think a lot of times maybe you're super interested and you want to get your friend into it and they're just not totally jazzed by it, but they, you know, or, um, you know, significant other or something. And sometimes it's great because, you know, couples love working the races together, but other times, you know, one person loves it and the other person, it's not for them. And, you know, mm-hmm. it becomes pretty apparent pretty quickly if it's not something you have a passion for. Um because you really have to love racing a lot in order to do this. <laughs> um, you really, you know, I mean, at my home track now, I, I'm based out of uh, Shannonville Motorsport Park for the most part, um, which is in eastern Ontario. And we have mostly motorcycles um, racing there. And like, um, you've really got to commit because it's a two hour drive from Toronto just to get mm-hmm. there. And it's cottage traffic coming back. Um, and you know, it's very, um, very big commitment. And I think that if people aren't loving it or, you know, it doesn't become something that they want to get through that 15 days, then they're going to self-select out usually, but Mm -hmm. we want to encourage people to play to their strengths too. I think one of the, one of the great things that we do is that we have a lot of, um, a lot of folks that, you know, if they need accommodations and things, we can, we can accommodate them within, you know, a reasonable ability of, you know, what they're able to do, whether that's a health issue or just like, I prefer not to do this or I'm intimidated by the radio or whatever. Like if people have something that is not their favorite thing, we're not going to say, okay, well, you can't come anymore. We're going to say, okay, well, we're going to let you do what you're comfortable doing. Um, and I, I think that it's important to meet people where they are. Um, and I think what I wanted to get into and what I will get into is how things have changed um, for us in the last sort of, I think, you know, 15 to 20 years in terms of the numbers that we have. And, you know, we, it, it's a struggle. It's a struggle because it's a lot to ask of people. And um, everybody wants to work Formula One like me. Like how I started was I wanted to do the F1 race. That was what I wanted to do more than anything else in the world. But then once you start to get loving the the local stuff and you start to love the other forms of racing, the motorbikes, the, the regional cars, the vintage cars, I love vintage cars. And mm. you start to, you know, you're, you're actually missing more Formula One races on TV than you're seeing because you're always at the track, you know, working something. But it's that passion that keeps you coming back and that, you know, you came for Formula One, but you're going to keep coming. But 
I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of folks that, you know, just want to do Formula One and they're not going to stick around for the regional stuff. They're not going to be as enthralled by motorcycles. Like I have a lot of people that I work with at car events that just say, nope, motorbikes aren't for me. You seen how far those things fly? No way. You know, I'm not like, you know, there, there's just people have different preferences and different things that they're interested in and you can't, um, it's volunteer, right? Um, and, and that's the challenge. Um, as, as people uh, age and uh, move on from the hobby, you know, we need younger people coming in that are going to do this. Um, and it's really hard to get people to commit. And I, I think that we do have some renewal issues at the grassroots level. Uh, part of the reason that I wanted to to talk to you today is because I think that if more people knew about these opportunities and the fun that it is and that you can be involved in this way, then maybe people will want to come out and, uh, and give it a try. Even if it's not for you, um, there are a ton of different volunteer roles at the racetrack. Um, there's timing and scoring, there's scrutineering. Like a lot of these people I see on Twitter that have all this engineering knowledge and they're, they're, they're talking about like the minutia of all these things. I'm like, why aren't you a scrutineer? Why aren't exactly. you, yeah, why aren't yeah. you at the track with us, you know, running scrutineering for the local racers, right? Why aren't you out there, you know, with us? And I think that, um, being an official, being a steward, um, you know, working, uh, any number of roles at the track, there, there's something there for everyone. And like I say, you know, not everything's Formula One. Um, these weekend racers, they need our help. Um, there's no money in, in regional racing. There's, there's no money in much racing besides Formula One these days. I think, <laughs> uh, my, my friend back home used to say money is the fine art of turn or racing is the fine art of turning money into noise. So, um, <laughs> that sounds about right, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. but, uh, or, or how do you, how do you make a million dollars in racing? Start with $10 million, right? <laughs> so it's a, the same results, you know, it's just, yeah. uh, it's just like law of diminishing returns, right? But uh, yeah, it sounds yeah. fast, uh, it looks good, and it makes a lot of noise, right? But I, I think that um, a lot of people make that mistake of, well, it's not a mistake. I mean, I think it's it's true that, you know, Formula One is this big global sport, and it relies mm -hmm. on volunteer label, labor, and, you know, they're making billions of dollars at Liberty and we're there on our own dime, right? But that ignores the fact that that is our vacation. That is our reward for a season of doing the local stuff for nothing, you know, out of the love of the sport, keeping the sport going. And if you paid Marshalls to do Formula One, it would only make the grassroots struggle more. Mm -hmm. because you'd end up with people that don't have that hook, that don't have the ability to go down and work at, uh, you know, an IMSA race in Sebring or, you know, do the Indy in Toronto or something, you know, like these, these hooks are what keep us going back to the track every weekend and having these, sure. you know, big events with our friends and our colleagues that we work with all year and making a big trip out of it in March or June. Right. Um, so I think that a lot of times people have easy solutions, but it doesn't offer the same solution at the grassroots level where mm -hmm. there's, there's, you know, if, if you said Marshall's had to be paid, well, where's that money going to be coming from? Yeah, who's going right? to pay it? Where's it going to come yeah, from? Like, yeah, it's exactly. Just gonna mean, it's just going to mean higher entry fees that are already, 
you know, pushing things and, you know, race, it's just going to get passed down to the racers and it's going to mean lower car counts and it's going to mean, um, you know, harder, harder to get people to, to come race at the tracks. Right. So, um, none of these guys are getting rich, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, a, it's like everything else. It's like, a, if, if it's big and glamorous, you know, there's a very, very small percentage of people at the very top of the pyramid that, uh, that they're making yeah. all the big bucks. And there's a, a lot of folks, you know, down at the grassroots. But so l- let me just sort of recap here. So once you go in, you do your 15 days, plus or minus, you get qualified. That is basically your foot in the door. And that's where you can start to, to, to specialize. If there, there's one other, other area, like you're saying, marshalling, uh, scrutineering, you know, the, the, the radio stuff, flagging, whatever it is. Once you get that basic qualification in, I guess it, it would to be, I, I, I suppose, to a certain extent, um, would also be availability at wherever the club you're working at, too, uh, depending on the they, they might have need a, a certain need for yeah. more people in one role than another. So, you know, I guess that. Yeah. Yeah. OK, well, that, that's we, awesome. What we always so, struggle for is like we need a starter. Anybody anybody <laughs> want to be the starter? You know, like, I, that, that was going to be my next question. Like, well, what are the most po- like popular like jobs that you can do? Like, uh, what is the one thing that everybody I, wants to do? I love blue flagging. I love it. Um, and it's, but don't, it's, don't you get like, get like frustrated? Like if you're the one out there wa- waving the blue flag and there's that one car that isn't doing what you're supposed to do when you get the, the, the blue flag is let the faster car by. I mean, as, as a fan, you know, that, that drives me crazy. It's like, what, you know, what, what's going on here? So you got to move over let the car behind you. I, you I don't know you, how you can say so like, like neutral. I mean, you would have hated, you would have hated the eighties, man. <laughs> they, they did not get out bad? of the way. Like, oh, the, the, the blue flag was merely a suggestion back then. Right. Um, and, and actually, if you watch IndyCar, um, if you're on the lead lap and the leader's coming up to pass you on a road course, they don't need to get out of the way. They can mm. hold up the leader all they want if they're the last car on the lead lap. So, um, oh, isn't yeah, that interesting? A, yeah. It's a little yeah. bit different. Like, they can fight like, you know, they can fight like hell to stay on that lead lap. The, the race control is not going to force them to get out of the way if they're that last car on the lead lap, um, which is, which is different. Like every series has a different interpretation. Um, I love working IMSA because you have multi-class racing. So you have, you know, sports cars, you got the big prototypes coming up behind the GT cars and, you know, the closing speed is insane. And you're just, your, your arm is going to fall off. You're just constantly (laughs) waving that flag and it's exhilarating. And, um, I, I remember like, um, my first F1 race as a marshal was, uh, was in 2006. And, um, I, I gave Michael Schumacher a blue flag when he was, uh, <laughs> he was on an in lap during qualifying. And I'm like, I just blue flagged Michael Schumacher. <laughs> that's awesome. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, like, that's that is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, um, and, and I remember like these guys are really good because, you know, sometimes, um, in lower levels of racing, they can kind of, y- you really have to be big with the flags, right? Like mm-hmm. sometimes we'll give a black flag and honestly, like three or four laps, they won't see it because they got the tunnel vision going. Sure. And, and like, you know, this is amateur racing. They got the, tu- the, the red mist and the tunnel vision going and, and they don't see your flag. They're not watching for it. So we're, mm-hmm. we're trying to make ourselves big and whatever. 
And uh, I remember, like, back in the days before we had those blinky light boards in Formula One, um, you know, we had to put out the safety car board, and, like, Alonso was in the lead, and I didn't even have, like, the board halfway out, and Alonso backed off and raised his hand at us, and it's like, oh, these guys are good. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, <laughs> like, right? That's amazing. Like, they're, they're very... Um, like that they see everything where you know there's there's a difference between the amateur racing and i would actually say that that's a big reason that the amateur racing is a lot more interesting sometimes is because we are doing it all ourselves um Mm -hmm. when you have like four to six marshals per corner and everybody's just doing one job um it's a lot more relaxed sure but um perhaps a bit less interesting than having one or two people per corner like we do in the and the local regional stuff. So, um, I've, I've got a question for you now. Like uh, when you go to the track, is there any sort of like, you know, strategic thought that goes into it or is just like, I'll go to whatever corner is, or do you have like, if you go to any track, is there like a, is there a corner maybe that uh, is maybe more attractive? You just look at the layout, you know, that there might be more action somewhere. Are you just good to go wherever you're, you're needed? This is, this is the thing is that we just do the job that we're told. So the chief course okay. marshal is, uh, is responsible for the corner assignments. Um, at, at bigger pro races, he might delegate that to the captains or the, the, the team captains to, you know, you're getting this stretch track, divide your people accordingly. That's mm-hmm. kind of how we work it at, uh, at the Indy in Toronto. But like, if you're just going for a regular race weekend, you know, we've got our chief course marshal and he's got the names on the boards and he's just going to put everybody where we need to go based on the numbers that we have. Um, for a local race, I don't care where I go. Like, you know, there are no bad corners at, at, <laughs> at my track. Like anything can happen anywhere. And I think that that's yeah. the attitude you have to take. I know that when you travel a long way, um, you do have to kind of cope with that disappointment of, oh, I was hoping to get the, like, I, I was hoping to get the wall of champions, you know, like if right, I want to go yeah. to Montreal, I want to get the wall of champions, but eh, it didn't happen. I'm on the back straight, but I've got a job to do. So I watch Roman Grosjean obliterate groundhogs at 300 kilometers an hour. That's still entertaining, right? For sure. Um, definitely. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, the thing you have to be prepared for is stuff happens everywhere. If you don't believe me, um, just type in Felipe Nasser, Montreal 2015. And, uh, he was weaving, heating up his tires during the qualifying session on the back straight and half spun and crunched it into the back stretch wall by the casino, just mm-hmm. totally destroyed his car. So, you know, things can happen at any time, anywhere. And, you know, part of our job is to just be prepared and react to it instantly when it does, because we have to be the ones giving that signal to the following drivers. So you kind of have to treat it like every car that goes through might go off. You know, you have to be thinking of it like, you know, something could happen at any moment in time. And you're just waiting for that moment to happen. 
I was just uh, thinking about that. You you, you mentioned uh, Felipe Nazar, but uh, talking about things uh, that can happen at any time, and that just reminded me of something I don't think anybody expected to happen was when Robert Kubica had that huge crash at Montreal going into mm-hmm. the hairpin, and yep. and I mean I mean I don't think anybody expected him to have an accident like that, and just the way that the car disintegrated and basically tumbled all the way down, yep. just passed you know, into the gravel by the entry into the hairpin. There, I mean that was. And I believe. Was, that was a, yeah. a car failure, was it not? That his, I think uh, it was. His, his yeah. Wing failed. yeah. Yeah. It, it wasn't so much uh, something that he did wrong, but you know, like you say, anything can happen anywhere at uh, at any time. So I got I got another question here for you. So you've, you've obviously you've been doing this for a very very long time now, and you've uh, you know done everything from uh, you know your local uh, club scene all the way up to Formula One. Is like what's left on the list? Like uh, I, you know, there's motorsport all over the world. If if you could have one assignment like tomorrow, like they called you up and Marshall, we got this for you. You know, like like what would that what would that assignment be? The 24 Hours of Le Mans. Oh yeah, good call. Good call. <laughs> that's the one that's still on the bucket list. Yeah, um, I, I definitely want to do that one. Yeah, um, that that's just the the holy grail of races. Really, that's yeah. The How best. difficult would that be to get your name into the uh, onto the list for for that one? I mean, I'm sure that you have to put your name in early, but I know many people who have. Um, yeah, and, and I know many people who actually. The, there was one uh, one guy from. Uh, uh, I think he's from Luxembourg that I worked with, uh, Belgium or Luxembourg or some, somewhere that, um, he worked with me at Montreal last year and he had a patch that was, uh, 2424. I was like, oh. what does, what does that mean? He's like, 2424s. Wow, that's cool. Like, Whoa. <laughs> that, that, that is quite the experience. I, I bet <laughs> you he's got some stories, eh? <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, he he was he was the best blue flagger I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I can yeah. imagine if you've done 24, you know, trips to Le Mans to do the yeah. 24 hours there that uh, you you know your stuff pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But that that's hey, definitely the one that I'd like to do. Cool. Hey, well, as we start to wrap things up here, so um like now's your chance to to give a pitch. So like, you know, there there's, you know, lots of people that uh, be interested to do this. Where can they start to to look for for information? Where where should they go first? Absolutely. So, um for your Canadian listeners, um it's really track by track. It's unfortunate, but that's kind of how it works up here. Um, so each track will have their marshalling club. So you would have to look for the track that's closest to you and, uh, and find the marshalling club. So for me, I, I'm based at Shannonville. Our club is called CRCA, Canadian uh, Race Communications Association. We have another club that I work with, uh, that's, um, MMS, Motorsport Marshalling Services, and they're out of Mostport or Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, as it's known now. Um, and, uh, we're actually having our school, uh, on the 18th of May. That's, uh, that's our initial new Marshall school at Shannonville, um, at Mostport. Their new Marshall school is going to be on May 4th and 5th. That's the, uh, first regional car race. Ours is going to be taking place at Shannonville on the 18th for the, uh, Canadian Superbike weekend. So, um, if anybody is in the Ontario region, that's where you can get a hold of us, um, motorsportmarshalling.on.ca or crca dot, uh, crcamarshals.ca. That's, uh, where you can, uh, get a, get a hold of us. 
Um, if you are in the United States, though, it's, it's quite a lot easier to get involved because it's all organized, at least for cars, through um, the uh, SCCA. So just go to your the SCCA website, um, the Sports Car Club of America, and just click on the link that says volunteer. And then you marshalling will be in the list of volunteer activities and you just put your address in or your zip code and it will tell you what region you're a part of based off of where you live. And somebody will reach out with you, re- reach out to you and tell you, um, you know, if you don't already know where you're, where the closest racetrack, you know, competitive racetrack is to you, they'll tell you pretty quickly where it is and how you can get involved. The system for the SCCA works very similarly to, to how we do it and how I explained before. Um, if you're uh, in the UK, it's even easier because there's one umbrella organization for all the marshals in the UK. Um, it's uh, BMC, uh, British Marshalling Club, I believe. Uh, and I think it's bmcc.co.uk. I, I hope I got that right. Um, but if you're in the UK, um, they have what they, they have a really cool thing that, uh, they do a, a trial day. So if you sign up, you can just come out and be on a corner and, and see how it works. Um, and they, they basically take you in and show you how to, how, how to do it. And they have a ton of tracks in the UK and they're all, yeah, yeah. you know, clustered together in sort of motorsport valley and, and the environs around. So if you, um, if you live in the UK, it's, it's beautiful. Um, have so many tracks and I'm extremely jealous of you all, (laughs) but, uh, you know, it's a little bit easier, but it's also a heck of a lot more popular, um, in the UK than here. Um, if you're in Australia, um, I'm just trying to hit all the English speaking folks. Um, it used to be called cams, but I believe it's called motorsport Australia now. And there's a volunteer section on their website that you can check out. Um, I'm sorry if you live in a country that I haven't mentioned, but just type <laughs> in marshalling in your country and I'm sure you'll find out all about it and how you can get involved. And uh, we'd be super happy to have you. We even provide free lunches. There you go. And if uh, folks want to give you a follow on social media, where can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm on threads and X at DBL waved yellow, double waved yellow, uh, fittingly. And, uh, I usually tweet about, you know, rules and why the stewards aren't idiots that you think they are and, and, and things like that. Um, I'm, I'm basically not somebody who has like any deep affinity or fandom for a particular team or driver. So I do tend to be like, assumed to be a, you know, if I'm making a Max fan upset today, they're sure I'm a Lewis fan. And if I'm making a Lewis fan upset today, they're sure I'm a Max fan. But, you know, <laughs> I, I think that means that I'm doing a pretty good job of cutting it through the middle and <laughs> keeping it fair. So um, I, I get a I, lot of those similar comments here. Yeah. So I know exactly where you're coming from, Marshall. So it's like, I, I think that um, marshalling will be for you if you're somebody that has a passion for the sport and not necessarily you know, an overwhelming passion for a particular brand of motorsport, just F1. Um, the more flexible and interested you are at anything that moves quickly and, you know, making it safer and uh, being a part of making sure that everybody goes home, um, you know, in one piece at the end of the day is really what we're there for. We don't care who wins. We don't care you know, what the result is, we're there to make sure that everybody goes home safely. 
and that, you know, everything goes as well as it possibly can. And, you know, that's a good weekend for us. That's, that's a victory for us is when everyone goes home safe. So that's, that's the important thing. For sure. Marshall, thank you so much for dropping by. I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah. Thanks so much, Mark. And I really, really love the podcast and keep up the great work. Thank you very much. Okay, everybody, time for a quick break. We'll be back on the flip side to uh, preview the Bahrain Grand Prix. It's here. Formula One starts this weekend. We'll do that in just a moment. So please don't go away. All right, welcome back to the show, and uh, thank you again to Marshall the Marshall for coming on to the show, and that uh, was a really enjoyable conversation, and uh, I think uh, Marshall's going to be my new go-to guy for any of those uh, sorts of questions. We've already been talking about other things that we didn't even get a chance to touch on when we uh, connected earlier on Thursday, so certainly we'll be doing that uh, again very, very soon. You know, I feel like I should have like a hotline here that if something comes up in the middle of a show, I can just uh, get Marshall on the line, get him right in, but that would really be fair, expecting him to be on standby <laughs> all the time. Uh, anyway, so let's uh, talk about the um, about the the Bahrain Grand Prix. Yes, it's absolutely happening. It uh, is the first uh, race of the year. Uh, we had uh, first couple of practice uh, sessions uh, this uh, this afternoon, earlier today on Thursday. Danny Ricardo in the V-carb, or whatever they're calling it now, uh, 23 laps. His fastest time was 132.689. Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri, the two McLarens, they were second fastest, fastest, pardon me. Danny Ricciardo was only three hundredths of a, a second slower than uh, Ricciardo's fastest time, uh, and he set a 132.901. Lando was a quarter second behind at 133.113. We had Yuki Tsunoda in the second V-carb, fourth fastest. Fernando Alonso was fifth fastest in the AMR 24. Max Verstappen, the world champion, the reigning triple world champion, I should say. Uh, was six fastest, uh, 0.369 seconds behind with 133.238. George Russell, seventh fastest. Charles Leclerc, eighth fastest. Lewis Hamilton, ninth fastest. And Valtteri Bottas, tenth fastest. So there you go. Those are free, uh, free practice time. So we'll wait and see what happens later today on Friday. And of course, in qualifying. And then, of course, the big litmus test. First race of the year going just on, well, not too many hours away from now on uh, on Saturday. So Oscar Piastri said he is uh, wary of um, some you know some hidden potential, some hidden speed, and feels that uh, that the Red Bulls have been sandbagging uh, right now in um, in Bahrain. Anyways, he was talking to uh, F1.com. He had the following to say: "Quote Red Bull don't uh, don't look quite as quick as we thought. We'll see how many sandbags come off tomorrow. It's a lot closer than I expected." Mercedes look quick. Fernando look quick. It's always a bit hard to judge on a Friday, but I think we're uh, sorts of around the points. With the teams we're around, be near the podium or near 10th is very much a possibility. So hopefully we can stay near the front of that mix. Uh, I think we're in a decent place, still a little bit inconsistent and up and down. So it's hard to know exactly how we will fare, but it looks to be a similar story for everyone. There's some uh, runs we need to look at more detail as to why they were how they were, both good and bad. But I think the overall feeling of the day is pretty positive. Uh, I, it is always uh, feels a bit pathetic blaming the wind on stuff, but it's difficult out there when it's so 
windy. These cars have such a different balance and such a different amount of downforce depending on what the wind is doing. So Oscar Piastri obviously sounding a little bit guarded running up to, to the Bahrain Grand Prix going into the, the final practice sessions and then into qualifying the race itself. And we'll wait and see. I mean, that it was interesting listening to some of the driver's comments over the last couple of days, especially end of last week when we finished the, the three-day test session. And just the uh, the the comments where they make, and you know, really feeling somewhat uh, cautious, and uh, Piastri certainly carrying those um, th- those sentiments over into the free practice sessions uh, that we've uh, seen so uh, so far. And then I think once we we get into qualifying, when we see these cars. I don't know if we'll see them uh, completely unleashed, uh, but certainly it'll be a bit more of a benchmark when we're seeing them going up uh, against each other head to head for the very first time. Whether the speculation uh, that uh, and 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 estimations and guesses that we've all been making, uh, you know, just based on what we've seen in practice and in testing, actually comes uh, comes to bear. Is Red Bull still going to be the uh, the the quickest car? Is it Ferrari? Is uh, is it Ferrari quicker than every anyone else? Mercedes? Whatever the case may be. Um, uh, certainly I'm going to have a little bit of a difficult time betting against uh, Red Bull at the moment because, well, I mean, we haven't uh, had a real reason to bet against them for some time. I mean, we only saw one other team beat them last year in 2023, and that was Carlos Sainz winning for, for, for Ferrari at the Singapore Grand Prix towards the end of last season. And that's not to say that they're going to run away with it and win every single race this season. I certainly hope that they don't. I mean, ultimately, I don't really mind if uh, if Red Bull win the constructors and the drivers championships again. I just want to see them have a little bit more of a well, a lot more of a run of their for for their money over the the, the course of this twenty four race cal or race uh, race season. Right? We we don't want to see Max running away and and, and beating everybody by you know a mile right we we want to see him fighting whoever it might be and i i you know that could go for any other of the 19 drivers any of the other nine teams that whoever wins i want to see them win fair and i want to see them uh, put up a good fight for it i'd like to see a lot of uh you know back and forth i mean i know that the obviously the the end of the 2021 season was not the way that uh, it should have been but i mean up until then i mean it, it was great competition uh, between max and lewis hamilton that that, that year i mean for me, it doesn't necessarily have to be Max and Lewis fighting it out again this year, but I would really like to see some some stern competition and, and a good scrap, a good fight between a couple of drivers or several drivers, which would be ideal. I mean, I think that's what they would love to see, Formula One. That would be in, in terms of a spectacle. There's a number of drivers winning races and a number of drivers in the conversation for the, for the drivers' championship, but sometimes we don't don't get what we want uh, so um like i say i, I mean i don't uh, begrudge max uh, for for winning i don't uh, begrudge red bull for winning because it uh it's not an easy thing to do and uh, i said the same thing during the mercedes uh, years that that uh, until somebody can beat them and beat them on a regular basis it's it's difficult to, to bet against them i mean it's just unwise to 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 bet against them i'm i'm the first person to admit that i'm not the best when it comes to laying bets on sports not so that i'm saying that you should but when every time when uh even if it's a sort of a friendly wager i always when when the rubber hits the road pun intended when it comes to motor racing <laughs> i could i could never make a a like a prediction that is actually anything 
you know, accurate. <laughs> you know, it, it seems I'm always wildly off base, but there's this sort of the, the, the toss away, throw away comments that, uh, the, that I make when sort of asked spur of the moment, those all seem to be the good ones. So maybe that's uh, the, the, the way to, to ask me if you're looking for some information, try and catch me in the hallway or in, in the grocery store and you're like, Oh, by the way, what do you think about the Bahrain Grand Prix this weekend? Those seem to be the ones that actually bear a little bit of uh, fruit. Anyway, so Mercedes have, uh, stated that they're not going to get uh, carried away or overconfident uh, by their pace that uh, they've been setting at the uh, you know, during practice. Uh, George Russell said, quote, we're not getting carried away with ourselves. The qualifying pace looked really strong. We still need to understand why it was so good. We made some changes from the test and it exceeded expectations, but ultimately the, in the long run, the pace is where it all happens and Max is still ahead of us. It was very close with Fernando, Lando and the Ferraris. Lewis and I were very similar as well, so we will have a real fight on our hands. In real race pace, we were very pleased with the day. The car is performing really well, but we're not going to get carried away with the timesheets just yet, end quote. And certainly that uh, that's a, a fairly positive statement. Uh, I, I think that we've you know we become used to Mercedes and uh, well the organization, not just uh, the, the drivers, Lewis and, uh, and George, but we've heard it from Toto, we've heard it from uh, James Allison, etc., that you know the car hasn't been the greatest. And you know we saw the, the W13 and the W13, W14. And uh, even though they pivoted through the season last year, they never really were able to uncork any real threatening speed in terms of catching up and beating the Red Bulls. But I mean, they, they certainly got a little bit better once they they, they pivoted and uh, moved away from that concept uh, that they carried on with or carried over from the W13 into the last year's W14 car. And now they've got a completely new one this year. So is this the year that Mercedes turn it back, uh, turn it back around and start doing what they what they've done for so very long and and dominate formula one and again i don't need to see somebody dominate formula one it doesn't need to be mercedes or lewis hamilton or red bull and max verstappen or whoever it might be i just want to see some some competition on a on a more regular basis and if the same people win at the end of the day after a fair fight then i guess that's just the the the, the, the way it is but that doesn't mean i don't want to see lewis or max or charles or whoever it might be Lando, let's throw Nat Lando in there. He's uh, he's due for a win. Let's 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 make that prediction right now. While I kind of ramble off uh, topic here, but uh, let's uh, let's see uh, Lando Norris get a uh, win this year. But yeah, I want to see multiple people uh, fighting for race wins and uh, championships uh, this uh, this year. That really would be the dream situation. So okay, so going into the uh, into qualifying today, let's uh, just take a a quick look at uh, what we saw last year. So in uh, qualifying. Qualifying uh, last year we had, uh, where do I have it in my notes here? Just a moment. I'll pull it up. Yes, here we go. So Max Verstappen uh, was on pole position. His times uh, increased uh, quite a bit, so the, the the session certainly ramped up. His uh, fastest time, well, his fastest time in Q1 was 131.295. By the time he uh, threw down the fastest lap in Q3, he had uh, brought that down to a 129.708, and himself and and his teammate Sergio Perez were the only two drivers under uh, the 130 mark. Uh, they were both in the uh, the high one. 
129s, Maxa 129.708, Sergio 129.846, pardon me. Then you had uh, Charles Leclerc, who was uh, third last year at the start of the race. He set a 130 even, like right on the mark. Uh, And again, just uh, very, very close, within a tenth and a half, uh, faster of his uh, teammate, uh, Carlos Sainz. Then last year, uh, rounding out the top 10, we had Fernando Alonso, uh, George Russell, Lewis Hamilton, Lance Stroll, Esteban Ocon, and then we had uh, Nico Hulkenberg in the Haas squeaking into uh, row five. Uh, So some stats on the uh, Bahrain International Circuit. So it is 308.24 kilometers uh, race length. It is 195.53 miles, 57 laps. Uh, The circuit length is uh, 5.41 kilometers or 3.36 miles. Uh, Lewis Hamilton has won there the most. Uh, He has uh, five all-time victories. Ferrari has the most wins as a constructor since we started racing there exactly 20 years ago. Uh, they have uh, seven wins there. And uh, let's uh, just take a look at the, uh, the, the the circuit itself. So we have 15 corners. Uh, this is an interesting track that kind of like winds back in on itself. It, it's roughly a U-shaped uh, circuit. Uh, you have a fairly long start finish uh, straight. Then you go into a very interesting um, combinations, a very sharp right and then a, a left and then a flick uh, back to the right as you go through turns one, two, and three. And uh, just after turn three is that uh, little barrier where Roman Grosjean had that uh, huge crash and erupted into a a ball of fire several years ago. If you want to see more about that, uh, go and check out uh, the the episode on Drive to Survive from two years ago. I guess that would be uh, season four now. uh, And look for the episode, I believe it's called Man on Fire, quite... uh, quite uh, quite shocking anyways after you get from uh, turn three down into turn four nice uh, sharp turn there and then you have uh, another series of uh, meandering turns through turns five six seven a sharp one and turn eight then you go into the combo of nine and ten which are very sharp and uh, the turn 10 is about 120 20 degree pardon me uh, turn to the left and then you go into that combo of turns which I quite like it turns 11 through 13 and then uh, from 13 you go all the way down the back straight into turn 14 and then you bring it down to uh, uh, turns 14 and 15 and then back into the start finish straight so you know when you're when they're hitting the the start line they're doing about 315 kilometers an hour in eighth gear that's just a whisker under 200 miles an hour and then uh, come down into turn one which is a second gear corner breakly breaking roughly about 120 meters into the entry of or from the entry of that corner that's a second uh, gear corner so just incredible you know going from 200 miles an hour down to 90 miles an hour or pardon that's 90 kilometers an hour so you know that's uh, quite a bit so 315 kilometers down to to, uh, kilometers an hour down to 90 in second gear that is uh, just amazing and then uh, when you go through like that uh, combo of turns at uh, two and three uh, by the time you hit that uh, that straight there after turn three they're already back up to 250 kilometers an hour so some of the speeds here are quite amazing and not that there's any com- uh, comparison between uh, real life uh, racing obviously and uh, <laughs> and and gaming but uh, when it comes to uh, the Formula One video game 
this is one of the ones that I enjoy the most. It really does give you a, a good feel for it because, uh, you know, sometimes I, I find that uh, when you experience the, uh, you know, the track, when you play it, you get a bit of a different uh, experience and a different uh, perspective on it. And actually, from a gaming point of view, this is a, a fun one to, to, to play. You have the two DRS zones, you know, start, finish straight, and then uh, between uh, turns uh, 10 and 11, sort of about halfway through the lap and uh you know some really interesting uh, corners so uh, certainly a, a lot of fun to, to play that um let's just take a look at some of the stats here uh where did it go okay so uh, what we have for the tires this weekend uh, pirelli are bringing the c1 hard c2 mediums and the c3 softs and let me just pull up the uh, the, the lap record here the lap record was set let's see by pedro de la rosa way back in 2005 the lap record, uh, at least uh, during the race, is a 131.447. And let's see, let's um, see if we can pull up the fastest time from last year's race. Um, can't find it. Oh, here. So, uh, yeah, the fastest lap was set by uh, Joe Guan Yu. Uh, his time in 2023 was a 133.996. And compare that to uh, Pedro de la Rosa's uh, record, a 131.447. So, who knows? That might just to be one of those uh, records that is uh, never ever caught. Anyways, the the final race classification last year was um, an all Red Bull uh, po- uh, top two steps of the podium. Max Verstappen winning. Sergio Perez was second. Fernando Alonso rounded out the the, the podium P three for Aston Martin, and then uh, running down the top ten, you had Carlos Sainz for Ferrari, Lewis Hamilton for Mercedes, Lance Stroll, who was recovering from the those injuries in his uh, biking accident this time last year, he was sick. George Russell, Valtteri Bottas, Pierre Gasly, and Alex Albon, the, the Williams driver, rounded out the top 10 a year ago at the Bahrain Grand Prix. All right. Well, I'm going to leave it there. Uh, it's going to be a, a busy weekend. Uh, I'm going to be getting up to, to watch qualifying tomorrow. Well, we'll be watching it uh, during the middle of the day. And they'll be back on uh, Sunday night or Saturday night, whenever it is, to wrap up uh, the, the race itself. And looking forward to, to doing that. And uh, just uh, before I go, yeah, I had Marshall on the show earlier. I got some guests uh, lined up over the weeks uh, ahead coming up. If there's anybody you would like uh, to see on the show, by all means, slide into my DM. DMs on X at Scootery F1 Pod or send me an email at Scootery Pod at pardon me, scooteriaf1pod at gmail.com for suggestion. I will do my earnest to get that person on the show. But let's be realistic. We're not going to get F1 drivers because they're very, very difficult to, to get a hold of, especially if you're not accredited like myself. So let's be uh, realistic. Uh, don't ask me to try and get Max or Lewis because it's just not going to happen and, and people like that. But there are plenty of other fantastic and knowledgeable people in the uh, you know, in the uh, in this realm, if you want to call it that. And if you've got a suggestion, uh, let me know. Anyways, I'm going to leave it there. Again, a big shout out and thanks uh, to Marshall the Marshall for coming on to the show. If uh, you want to support what I do here, I'd love that and I would appreciate a, a lot if you could. And the easiest way to do so is just to leave a rating to review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and all that. Give me a follow on X at f one Pod, and if you got uh, something to say, I've also got a, a post on X where you can uh, phone, not phone in, but uh, there's a, a website that I use where you can uh, leave a voice message. I've been playing those over the last uh, number of weeks, and it's uh, great. This is our show, everybody. Let's let's talk about Formula One the way that uh, we want to talk about it in our own way. We can do that. Anyways, it is now getting close to midnight. I'm tired. I want to go to sleep. So. 
let's uh, wrap it up for there. Enjoy the race, enjoy qualifying, and we'll be back in a couple of days to wrap it all up. And until then, have a great weekend, everyone. Bye for now.